What's up, rich friends? Welcome back to another episode of Net Worth and Chill with me, your host, Vivian Tu, aka Your Rich BFF and your favorite Wall Street girly. And this week, we have a highly requested topic that is so important to just about everyone, but especially you. Yes, you listening, investing. And I want to start this episode off with a story. As many of you know, my junior year summer, I spent 10 weeks interning on the equities floor on Wall Street, and I had a project where we had to pick an industry and give a presentation. First and foremost, you know your girl never backs down from a challenge, so I obviously picked the hardest, most confusing, most complicated sector, biotech. And second, you know your girl crushed the Perezzo, top intern. So after the summer, I'm feeling really good about myself and I thought I knew everything there was to know about investing. And obviously that meant after I left New York that summer, when I headed back to college, I thought, hmm, I should do some investing on my own. During my project, I researched three major pharmaceutical companies investing in the biotech space, and I really took a liking to one of them. So thinking that I was Warren Buffett Jr. himself, I took all of the money that I had made that summer and put it into this one stock. I'll give you one guess what happened next. The modern medical miracle that this company was developing, uh, yeah, turns out it didn't actually end up working that well and the stock price halved. And since all of my money was in this one stock, in a matter of weeks, I saw all of my hard-earned internship money have as well. And I tell you the story not to scare you away from investing, quite the contrary. I want you to invest, but I also want you to understand the basics so that you don't make any unwise decisions like I made. Today, we're going to cover investing mistakes how to invest, and exactly where you can learn more about investing. Today, we're joined by an expert in the space. She's a founder and CEO of LearnVest, a New York Times bestseller, and the founder and managing partner of Inspired Capital. Everyone, please welcome Alexa Von Tobel. Um, First of all, thank you so much for having me, Vivian. This is going to be so much fun. Of course. Thank you so much for agreeing to be on my podcast. And before we jump in, I'd love to learn a little bit more about your upbringing, your childhood, parents, where you grow up. Sure. So um, I always say I'm a proper Southern girl. I was born in Kentucky. I grew up in Jacksonville, Florida, um, which is very close to Georgia. So in many ways, almost I was basically raised in Georgia. <laughs> so I think about it. And I have told brothers was, I would say, kind of a very into sports growing up. And I ended up getting into Harvard. Casual, humble brag, um, little flex. I love worked, that. Worked nonstop to, to make that happen. Um, and actually, that's one of the reasons I became interested in personal finance, and I'll come back to that. But no, two older brothers came from a family of nurses and doctors. Both my brothers are actually doctors. So I was the black sheep, and I was very interested in business. But when I was um, in undergrad, I had always wanted to learn about personal finance and realized that to even get a great degree like I was hopefully getting at Harvard, I realized there was no education on personal finance, and it just stuck with me. I had always been really interested in building businesses and making sure you have enough money and savings to make those businesses work, and that's where my kind of early passion for personal finance started. And when would you say you, quote, unquote, were good with money? Is that something that your parents instilled in you? Is that something that you learned through friends? How did you get that? Yes. Well, so when did I feel like I became good with money? Yeah. So super fast background. After college, I uh, was very entrepreneurial, um, started writing a business plan for a company called LearnVest. Uh, LearnVest stood for Learn, Earn, Invest, and it was basically what I wish existed for me. I was looking for an outlet to go learn about my wallet and to to, to manage it better. Pretty much realized there were no tools or resources. Financial literacy wasn't taught in schools, colleges, et cetera. I was appalled, appalled by this. It pissed <laughs> me off. And I said, I'm going to go build it. And so you asked, when did I feel good about money? Years later, I'm running the company, 100 plus employees. 
became a certified financial planner, hired fabulous planners, and I got my first financial plan. And that was the first moment where I said to myself, I feel really good at money. And it just took it took me becoming an expert, but then it really was the moment where I sat down and had a, a full plan for my own wallet where I stepped back and said, I finally know what to do. Was my money all perfect? Of course not. No one's is. But it was actually the first time I knew all the things I needed to do to feel good at money. And that was the moment when I actually, I had this like weight come off my shoulders. I was like, I know exactly what I need to do to achieve the, the things that I want to do in my life. And I know you're not supposed to ask a lady this, but how old were you? When you can was. ask me anything. <laughs> um, well, so I started the company when I was 23. And when I finally dropped out, uh, I was 24, 25. I dropped out of Harvard Business School um, to build LearnVest. And that first time I got a financial plan, I was probably 26, 27. And I became a certified financial planner roughly around then. It, it's a test you have to take. It was brutal. And that was the first time where I felt really good at money and then wrote my books and all those other things, but felt felt and when I say good like textbook wise I was good Mm -hmm. I was good before that textbook wise but when did I actually feel at peace right is how I answer that question there's that's an important distinction when I finally felt like I, I knew what I wanted to accomplish in my life I knew how much money I needed to do that and I knew what I could do to go make that happen and it was going to take time and work but I actually had a plan and that's like having a plan is a very empowering feeling. Yeah. So we talk a little bit about like your your come up story. You know, you get into Harvard. Like that speaks for itself. You were obviously a great student. You have a pretty conventional path. I would say almost, you know, similarly, I look up to you like my path is very similar to yours. Like I grow up, I'm a great student. I get into the right school. You get this right job at Morgan Stanley. Right. Exactly. We do all the right things. You're checking all the boxes of like what you're supposed to do when you are a person who goes to Harvard. And you, in theory, could have followed this path to financial success in your future. Like what makes you really think like, you know, it's going to be a great idea to completely upheave my life, start a company, go back to business school, drop out of business school. Like what makes you take those risks? Vivian, that's such a good question. And I actually, you know, I go back and I think about what what advice I would give to my younger self. I'm 39 today with three kids and, you know, partridge <laughs> in a pear tree. And when I look back and I think about what would what advice I would give to myself. So there are some boxes you need to check, right? You need to graduate high school. You need to yeah. go to college. You Do you think everybody needs to go to college? No, probably not everybody. Um, but because, you know, you kind of take people one by each, I would yeah. say, for the most part, people should go to college. Mm-hmm. Because, first of all, you make great friends in college for your whole life. And those friends are important for your entire existence. So in so many ways, it's not even for the education. It's for the friend right. group. It, it really is. And it's for the independence. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. When I look back, you asked, when do you finally know to stop checking boxes? I think for me, you know, I, I, I grew up, as I said, Jacksonville, Florida. I didn't have any friends who went to, you know, big fancy schools. Did you grow up with money, would you say? Like lower income, middle income, higher income? Um, I would say so. I, I have two sets of grandparents, one that had lots of money, one that had, I would say, actually quite close to little, very, very, very little money. Mm-hmm. 
and I actually remember going and seeing that that those grandparents, um, yeah. their house when I was call it 24, 25 with yeah. my now husband. With, he was my boyfriend at the time. And I thought their house was so big. And we pull up. To, like my memories of this house were huge. Mm-hmm. And we pull up and I look at my mom and my and I go, oh my God, my grandparents had very little money. Yeah. The house was so tiny. But in my little three-year-old head, like remembering, I thought it was massive. And I looked at my mom and I was like, mom, you guys grew up with almost nothing. And it was just such a moment where I really, really appreciated my mom's yeah. frugality and her strength. Anyways, so I grew up in a family that was middle class. Both my parents were in medicine. My dad ran his own business. And so I would say kind of always felt like I, I had what I needed. Um, remember, there's always people that have more. There's always people that have less. Right. So I always felt like we were comfortably in the middle. But I remember being like, oh, wow, my grandparents actually had nothing. And yeah. I felt like they lived the best life. So that was the other thing. That was a really important like moment for me. And then my other grandparents um, uh, were from Belgium and had more. And punchline of all of that was I always just felt like I wanted to be good at money. I Mm -hmm. never felt like I needed to make a ton of money. I just felt like I didn't want to worry about money. I like had this really clear moment. I'd lost my dad when I was younger and my mom became a single mom when I was 14. And I just remember having this moment where I said, I just want to be good at money. Yeah. Which is anything could happen in life and I'm going to be good. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be okay. Mm -hmm. So fast forward, I had a really important moment uh, where I said, I want to feel like I can be empowered and in control. And going back to your question on when did I feel like I had to stop clicking and checking all the boxes? I don't know. Something happened when I graduated from undergrad. It was such a clear moment to me. Mm -hmm. I said, in my mind... You know, getting into such a great school already felt like a big accomplishment. And it was from that moment that I sort of, I had this inner voice say to myself, I want you to start doing things that you're passionate about. We got to like stop checking these boxes. And I'd gotten into business school and as you know, at a job Morgan Stanley. And just this really clear voice was saying to me, I want you to start doing things you love. I want you to start doing things that like you want, you're thirsty to get out of bed for. Mm -hmm. And as you get to know me, I lots of energy, very passionate person. <laughs> My husband always says there's no off switch, um, only an on switch with me. But there was this really clear moment probably around the age of 21, 22, where I just said, I'm not living my life anymore to check boxes. I, like for everyone out there listening, in high school, you worked so hard to get into a good college, almost too hard. I feel mm-hmm. like to, to some degree, we've like lost the plot these yeah. days. And Something really clear in my head was just like, Alexa Von Tobel, I want you to go do things you love. And I was super, honestly, not just passionate. I was pissed off about the state of financial literacy in Mm -hmm. America. The fact that in order to feel confident about money, you have to have lots of it. Yeah. Because you can't even get an advisor. You can't even get access to good Mm -hmm. advice until you have money. Yeah. And I was like, that's what that would be the equivalent of doctors only would see you if you were super healthy. Yeah. That's insane. Literally, think about that. That's how our medical world uh, our medical world takes care of you when you have nothing and you're unhealthy, but our financial world takes care of you when you have a lot really well. But mm-hmm. if you have nothing, it makes no sense for you to talk to an expert. Right. So I wanted to fix that. And I think that that just stuck with me. It got under my skin. It was like, in, I always joke, it was in my fingernails. Like I was angry and upset about it and I wanted to go do something about it. And so I listened to that passion. And so I think it's important for everybody out there at some point to realize this is not the dress rehearsal of life. This this is it. This is the full You get one shot. This is it. This is the main stage event. You're on the stage. Mm-hmm. This is it. You got to start doing things that you really care about. You got to start spending time with the people you care about. You got to start building the things you care about. You got to start living the life you want to, not waiting. And 
that doesn't come by the way easily. You have to work hard to do those things. Yeah. But I was ready and I knew that at 22. I love that. You are so determined. You know, you have this vision. And I want to take a step back because I love humanizing our guests because sometimes people hear you talk and know that you're an expert and you have such a clear goal and vision and they're disheartened because they don't have that. Immediately, people will think you're perfect. Can you tell me about a time where you made what you would refer to as the dumbest money mistake you've ever made? Absolutely. So first of all, I would not I would actually say not only am I not perfect, I don't know that I'm actually uniquely excellent at anything. Mm. I tell my best friend this all the time. I I really I I don't know that I I have certain things that I think I'm I'm really fascinated by and really curious by and then I just go do them. Mm-hmm. And I I I think maybe my biggest skill set is that I just I'm really a doer and I'm really action oriented. So I just want to like humanize this for everybody. Um even with like, you know, I, I my my background and everything, I just worked really hard and I just did things and I just trusted my instincts a lot. But I would never, you know, if you looked at every skill set I had, if there was a way to quantify them, I don't know that I'm like an outlier at anything. Mm. So back to your question of like a dumb financial mistake I made. I mean, I literally made them all. Um, <laughs> no, first of all, I actually put all of my savings into starting LearnVest, which l- just textbook financial advice is like, don't do that. <laughs> yeah. Like quite literally don't do it that. It worked out well, but you shouldn't have done that. It was a terrible, <laughs> no. And I kept joking that I had one plan, which is I had all my savings and I dropped out of business school and I bought into the worst recession in uh, mm-hmm. 81 years, by the way, it was 2008. I dropped out December 18th of 2008, dropped out. <sighs> like truly epically stupid and on all paper my own one of my own best friends said to me Alexa you've lost your mind this is a don't do it You're, mm-hmm. this is dumb mm-hmm. she's like you have a pristine resume yeah everything is perfect yeah are you really going to go do this like you're throwing it away and I remember just looking at her and smiling and being like I have a plan and my plan was the following I took all my savings and I put it in a startup when <laughs> startups were not a thing And I moved to New York. Wait for this. I didn't even have like the emotional bandwidth to get an apartment in New York. Just I want people to like know what this really looks like. I left all my shit. Like literally my apartment, I just left it. I already, I had the apartment for another semester. Just left it all there and was like, I'll come back. In Cambridge. In Cambridge. I was like, I will come back and deal with that in six months. I got to (laughs) go straight to New York. My boyfriend, now then fiance, then husband, so husband and now my baby daddy, um, (laughs) my three kids, I just said, I will stay with you and I'll go back and forth and I'll take all my meetings in New York. So like effectively almost moved in with him, which was also not a plan. Terrible advice too. Like we were dating. (laughs) Like just everything I would tell people not to do. Never let my children listen to this podcast, please. Um, All the things I would tell you not to do. And I just started working. And I just started working and working and building and building. And every day uh, my husband would walk in the door and he knew it was either a good day or bad day because either I was crying while typing holding a cookie or I had a glass of wine and a cookie while still crying when he would walk in at like 8 p.m. because I was just like I've turned my life upside down and I'm gonna go build this company and little by little day by day it got easier it got better it got easier it got better and then we were out of the woods we basically six months later had raised a few hundred thousand dollars to really stand the company up and I could pay myself a whopping salary of thirty thousand (laughs) dollars can't make that up And then one day I gave myself a raise to $45,000. Ooh, you balling Um, now. And and I just put my head down and just said, these are going to be like 
two years of my life where we're not going to travel and do big things. And I'm just going to go and build and build and build. And little by little, it got easier. And actually, that was the speech he gave the night. My husband gave the night of our wedding. That's amazing. So, but that like dumb, epic decisions, like basically moved in with my boyfriend, (laughs) had no own apartment of myself and put all my savings into a startup. So happened yeah. to be the best financial, by the way, decision in the end that I've ever made. I mean. Mathematically. Uh, one, I am 32 relieved. 32X. I thought you were going to say that you were sleeping under your desk at like a little office space that you had rented. I'm like, I don't know that that's, that would maybe be saner, actually. That might be, actually make better sense. Because um, you would have your own desk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I want to pivot a little bit to talk just about broad investing, uh, general tips that we can give our listeners. You know, I think we are both investors. We invest now. But what do you recommend people do before they jump into investing? Yeah. I mean, I think the really important thing is you need to understand who you are psychologically. Mm. So I I didn't think you were going to say that, but go ahead. Yeah. um, I think that's a very important uh, investing decision because the best investments are based on a financial plan. Mm -hmm. So you have two principles. One is the law of five and then the law of 10. The law of five is anything that you need in the next five years, it shouldn't have broad market exposure. It shouldn't be in an ETF or an index fund and invested because that's money that you need for something practical. You plan to buy a home. Mm -hmm. You plan to have children. By the way, CDs are amazing right now because they're four to five percent. So keep it simple. CDs stand for certificates of deposit. Which is a fancy way of saying savings account that pays you a bit more Mm because you won't touch the money. So part one, a really good financial plan basically takes your money. Let's just say for keep the math simple, you have $100,000. Yep. And let's just say to keep the math simple that you need $50,000 to buy a home and $10,000 to start saving for a child that you want to have. That $50,000 should be in in a place where if the market tomorrow cuts in half, doesn't have exposure because mm-hmm. in the next year you need it. Mm-hmm. So that money should be, and this is the law of five, things under under five years, should go and be in a CD or a simple savings account because mm-hmm. when you want it in a year, it needs to be there and ideally yep. be more than 50000 Let's say you're having a child in the next one or two years. That $10,000, same thing, should be in a place where it's growing a little bit with like, you know, simple interest or treasury bills, which are, again, s- similar to a CD. Yep. That's These it. are all just like the slightly older, slightly hotter version, like the hotter older brother of a high-yield savings account for everybody listening. They're just a little, like, yes, there is risk, but like so, so low, and you do get paid a little bit more in interest. Correct. The CD, you get paid because you agree not to touch it. Correct. So three months, one month, mm-hmm. et cetera. You agree not to touch it for those periods of time, and therefore it's there. By the way, you can't always touch it. You just pay penalty if you have to take it out. Next, for the other now $40,000 mm-hmm. that you do not need, so that's money that you actually can invest for the long term, that should just go into an investment account, into something broad, like an ETF, S&P 500, and you don't touch it. So what I just outlined for you there is what a simple financial plan would do. It would say, how much money do you have exactly? And what do you want to accomplish? You want to buy a home with the 50000 You want to have a child with the 10000 And you have 40000 that you do not need and you do not need for a long period of time, mm-hmm. ideally 10 years. So as a result, you can say, let's go put it in S&P 500, ETF, which means super inexpensive, and then don't look at it. If you are somebody who's very, very good at following rules and actually won't touch it, that's great. Yeah. That's the plan. Put it in the plan. Don't touch it. If you're somebody who actually in the world panics, markets change, panics, and is going to trade, that's really important for you to know. And that's when you really do need a financial planner who can say, no, 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 Vivian, you can't touch your money. Mm -hmm. Nope, 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 nope. You don't need it for 10 years, so don't 
trade out of it and can be very, very, very stern with you during that process. So I think understanding your psychology is really important. I'm somebody, clearly, who's an expert at this. Not only do I not care, I don't even have an emotional reaction when I look and we've lost money because the markets are down. Who cares? That's, that's not the plan. The plan is it's a mathematical investment strategy over decades. Mm-hmm. So there's going to be good days and bad days. So on the good days, don't get excited. On the bad days, don't yep. don't get worried. And you just set it and forget it. And the market over the last 100 years on average has been about 9%. Mm-hmm. So that's what you're, you're going for the averages and you're playing long game. So your psychology really matters because if you're somebody who's going to panic, you need to make sure you have somebody there to make you not panic. Right. Because trading out of the market is the simplest way to lose a lot of money. Yeah, 100%. And I think it's And so- everybody thinks they know better. That's yes, the other thing. Yes, 100%. And I think it's so funny because the question I always get is like, what should I do if I'm losing money? I'm like, have you sold? Because until you sell, those losses are not locked in. And frankly, if you hold over a period of 40 years, I can't remember the exact study, but they said there was a 99% chance that you would not lose money. And I mean, that those numbers speak for themselves. Like, if you are a buy and hold investor for a long period of time, you are bound to see success. If you are trying to day trade, 85% of day traders lose money in the long term. So 100% agree. And it's just plan based. That's the other yeah. thing. When you think of your money, think of it as a a bucket of many little buckets. So you have little buckets and those buckets have different risk tolerances based on what you need to accomplish Uh and the money that you don't need. So let's take your retirement account. Yeah. I mean, I'm pretty sure most people listening are in their 20s, 30s, et cetera. Mm -hmm. You're not retiring for 40 to 50 years. Mm -hmm. So not only don't look, you want it to be as invested as humanly possible because that's money that you want to take risk. Yeah, 100%. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. Can you walk us through this process of starting to invest obviously feels very, very confusing. Talk us through like picking an account, funding it, and then choosing investments. What would be the advice you would give to 24-year-old Alexa? For 24-year-old Alexa, I would say read my book, Financially Fearless, because mm-hmm. it's, it's a simpler manual on the basics of money. Mm-hmm. In plain English, no fancy words, no jargon, no nothing. Because once you understand the whole picture of how money works, which is really about a financial plan, mm-hmm. you realize investing is one of six buckets, and it's the last bucket. Mm-hmm. So most people show up day one and say, I want to invest more. And actually, and I'm going to quickly run you through a plan. I'll do it super fast. Is lightning speed. Financial planning. So bucket number one is know your numbers. What numbers do you know about your wallet? Do you know your income? People always tell me I make $100,000. And I say, sweetheart, no, you don't. You pay taxes. You probably take about $60,000 home. Mm-hmm. So know your numbers post-tax. That's number one. Know your credit score. That's in that bucket of numbers. Mm-hmm. Number two is make a budget. Mm-hmm. What's a budget? It's a very, very detailed understanding of your numbers. There's only two things that matter, what comes in and what goes out. And you have to have something left at the end. So really sitting down and knowing your budget in detail. Step three is the monopoly step. The monopoly step is you cannot pass go until you do these three things. And these are the three things that everyone should start. When you want to talk about investing, you should start with the monopoly step. And it is the following. Number one, do you have no credit card debt? Mm -hmm. If you do, you got to get it to zero. Number two, do you have an emergency savings account that is big enough for your life? So if you're young, that's about three months. If you're older, if you're like me, 
you've got a home and three kids, you've got to have more, more like 12 months mm-hmm. if, God forbid, something happens because there's more people that things can go wrong yeah. too. So you need an emergency savings account. That emergency savings account is sitting in something like CDs, treasury bills, high you know, high yield account. Simple. Not invested. Mm-hmm. Don't tell me, oh, it's not earning enough. No, no, no. An emergency is an emergency. You yeah. need that money. You need it now. Yeah. Okay, that's bucket two. Bucket three is you're maxing out your retirement account. So I'm going to use simple numbers to keep it easy. But for everybody listening right now, if you have a job, a J-O-B, you probably have a 401k. Mm-hmm. If you have a 401k, you roughly can put $20,000 of your income into a 401k. Yeah. That's an investment account. It's stupidly branded a 401k. It should be called retirement investing. Mm-hmm. You should fill it to the top. You and your spouse, if you're partnered, both of you, that's $40,000 right there. Additionally, you can do an IRA. And if you make under roughly $125,000, you can do a Roth IRA. That is another, I'm going to keep it simple, Mm $7,000 you each could do. So that's $27,000 per person of investing in tax-advantaged ways because you get a little bit of a tax perk by doing it for the the long haul. So if you think about that, that's right there, $54,000 in a household that you can be investing each year for retirement. So we always tell people, people say, I want to invest. And I'm like, I get you. But until you're doing the monopoly step, no credit card debt, full emergency saving to the size that you need it, and fully maxing out your retirement, that is the best place. And also, often uh, your company will give you a match, Mm -hmm. which is a second bonus. That's free money to you. Mm -hmm. If you don't take advantage of that, that's like you literally just, they wired you a bonus and you wired it back. (laughs) That's how dumb it is. So do that. So that's step three. Step four is then we, we make a list of the things you want to accomplish after that. So once those three things are done, then we say, oh, you want to buy a home? Oh, you want to have kids? You want to start a business? Then we dream. And then we detail the budgets out for how much money you need for those things. Mm -hmm. That's step four. It's called dream. Step five is insurance. Sounds sexy, I know. But it's critical. And it's things like renter's insurance, Mm -hmm. auto insurance, home insurance, life insurance if you have kids. You need all of that. You need to pay those depending on who you are each year. Step six is then investing. Because you've now done step one through five. And if you still have extra money after that, because remember, step four is dream. Most of those things you want to do in under five years. So you're yeah. not investing that money because you need it actually to be there. The wedding, the house, the kid. Correct. The wedding, the house, the kids, the renovation, the car, the huge trip. Mm-hmm. That's not money you're putting in an investing account. So for most people listening, the only place that you should be investing is in your retirement account right now because you get supercharged dollars by doing it. Yeah. If you have money after that that you don't need in the next five years, it's real surplus money to your life. Then we talk about step six, which is investing. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Wow. That is a financial plan in the quickest, simplest format that I could possibly do. That is incredible. I love the step-by-step. I'm sure everybody listening is so appreciative that you were able to just share that. Aside from, you know, the holy grail six steps, what is the best piece of advice you would give to somebody who is just starting their six-step journey, their investing journey? Yep. So actually, it's what I call step seven. Ooh. Um, it's the bonus. Yeah, it's a secret step. Yeah, it's a secret step. It's the bonus step, which is money is habitual. It's about habits. In the same way that we have habits drilled into us as little kids, brush your teeth twice a day, eat mm-hmm. your an apple a day, keep the doctor away, <laughs> drink your water, sleep. Everything is better after a night's sleep. Like mm-hmm. all of the old adages that we've all heard one billion times. Money is a habit. Mm. And the thing about money is you need to build good habits. And for most people, no one ever, because it's not taught, and I, I want everyone to feel zero shame in this. Literally, personal finance, financial literacy, which is the equivalent of health. Health and wealth are actually very similar. Mm-hmm. You need your health for every day you're alive, and you actually need money for mm-hmm. every day you're alive. There's not a single day of life where there's not some need of money happening 
till the day you die. Mm -hmm. But we we get no education. So for the most part, we all kind of have these weird hodgepodge tips our parents gave us. And they weren't educated, so some of them are good and some of them are pretty bad. The takeaway here is you actually need to build good habits. And so the habits that I would want everyone listening right now about money are the following. Every day, I want you to put on your calendar a five-minute money minute where you take five minutes and you think about what are the things I'm supposed to be doing? Are there there to-dos? Once a year, I want you to have a money summit, either with yourself or with your partner if you're partnered up. What are we accomplishing? What are Mm -hmm. our goals? What do we want to see things look like at the end of the year? What are we saving for? By the way, you're going to have the best sex life because if you actually align with somebody else on money, it's like the number one cause of fights Mm -hmm. in marriages. So if you get on the same page, literally all the studies show you you have far more sex. (laughs) So if that's your motivator, there you go. Okay, next, I want to make sure outside of the money minute and your, your yearly summit, you should be each month spending an hour Mm -hmm. really getting organized, getting ahead of taxes, making sure that the things, the checks that were supposed to come in got, came in. Did you pay your bills, et cetera? It's just a habit. So I schedule them all on my calendar. And then once a quarter, each check your credit score. Mm -hmm. And once a year, each check your annualcreditreport.com, annualcreditreport.com to make sure you have no fraud. That's it. Simple habits. And then once you build those in and you realize just in the same way that you have to like take care of your apartment, take care of your dog, take care of a child. You also have to take care of your money. It is not something where you like truly set it and forget it. You set your investments and forget them. Mm-hmm. But the actual whole picture of the money, things are changing. You have a baby. Oh, now you need life insurance. Because mm-hmm. if something happens to you, what happens to the baby? Those sort of things. It's a, it's a habitual thing. I want you to build good money habits because everybody can. And the one, just because we were talking about money and money feels so stressful so many times, I literally mean this to everybody listening. It is absolutely in everyone's power. If you can do third grade math, which I'm pretty sure everybody who's gotten through you know, and is listening here, you can do personal finance. Mm-hmm. It's third grade math. It's not complicated. It's just a matter of having the good habits to actually do it. So don't be intimidated because if you can do third grade math, you can do personal finance. And not only just habits, what I love so much about this idea of the money minute every single day or money five minutes every single day and then the hour every month and then the summit every year is that if you are working with a partner or even just by yourself, it makes talking about money and thinking about money so much less stressful if you're doing it more often. Because what I find to be really alarming is that people will put off the money talk with their significant other, with their friends for so, so long until it boils up to a major blow up moment or blow up point. to your point of like people fighting less when they're on the same page about money. But like after that point, things may not be fixable. But if you can address them ahead of time, then you've got ways to improve and more runway for you to make better decisions as a team in the future. Totally. That's, I mean, that's, you nailed it. That's right. Yeah. And what would you say are some of the biggest, I guess, like financial journey or investing mistakes that people make that our listeners can now avoid? Being emotional when the markets trade off. Yeah. Uh, trade off generally just means go when down. The, yeah, exactly. Go down. And the markets go down and a stock price, you know, cuts in half or people get emotional mm-hmm. and they make they make knee-jerk reactions to sell. Mm-hmm. That's the biggest mistake that people make. And good humans make it. So it's not just idiot humans. It's like good humans. It's You get emotional. I did this after my internship on Wall Street where I was trading for a living and saw you know, my investment have. And immediately I sold. I was like, "Ah, I can't lose any more money. So yes, very much this happens to everyone. It happens to everyone. And ideally, you learn your mistake on a small amount of money, not on a big amount of money. But it happens to everybody. And I think part of what matters is 
that you really create that long-term decade-focused plan. So you look 10 years into the future and say, where do I want to be? And actually, I'll just give you a quick example. My husband and I were like, we would like to have two to four kids. We have three right now. We'd like to buy our apartment. We both want to run our businesses and we want to save X amount a year. That was the plan. We sat down. We made it. At the end of the day, math foots to plans. So we were able to come up with a plan. And I think once you have that plan, let the plan be in place. And when things trade off, when the market gets scary, don't react. And that's why I often find it to be really important to work with an advisor because they are there there to be a buffer mm-hmm. to you just like hitting the button that says sell. <laughs> and I think that, that that's the biggest thing that people, it's their psychology, they panic. And one of the things I've said to people, you know, it doesn't matter if you have $3,000, $30,000 or $3 million. It's all you have. Yeah. So that's the one thing that people realize the scale of money doesn't make any difference you may, it's all you have. Yeah. And we are actually wired to protect. We're herders by, by literally our psychologies. We are cavemen who would sit there and hoard. <laughs> the goods, buffalo or goods. whatever. Yeah. No, no. It's like it, we are uh, acquisitive and we are hoarders. That is like uh, very mm-hmm. much how we're wired. And so it triggers things in us that make us panic and you have to stop. Mm. Yeah. Just saving up that buffalo meat for the winter. I get it. That's right. There you go. <laughs> And before we get into our fun little lightning round, what is the difference, would you say, uh, that people who are in a different age bracket should keep in mind when investing? So I'm talking 20s versus 30s versus 40s versus 50s and 60s. Investing is most, this is the hardest thing. In your 20s, let's just be honest, most of us are totally broke. Yeah. Because you're just entering, life is so expensive right now. Mm -hmm. It is more expensive than ever because of inflation. And you're getting your first job, getting paid, you know, any amount. Yeah. Right? You're grateful to have a job at all. And that is actually the decade to invest in retirement mm-hmm. because compound interest is not magic. It is math. Mm-hmm. And the sooner you start, literally there's this chart that I once saw because I was a nerd and found like a financial planning class when I was in college. But if you simply start in your 20s versus late 30s, that's the difference of hundreds of thousands yeah. of dollars. So the biggest piece of advice I have if you're in your 20s is you must maximize your retirement account now. And I know you're going to tell me, but that's impossible. I don't, I can't even pay my bills. And the answer is you're right. So then you have to figure out maybe I, most people overspend on their rent. That is the place where people are most often lopsided. And what you need to do is figure out a way. Can you get, can you have an extra roommate? Mm-hmm. Can you get a side job? Mm-hmm. Can you get a jobby that's a hobby that is also a job? A jobby. I love that. <laughs> um, I, my brother came up with that. I love it. A uh, jobby. Hobby job. But figure out a way to make extra money and put every dollar you have not into going out to the bar, but like into your retirement account. And let me just promise you, in your 30s, you are going to be so grateful you did mm-hmm. because it the bigger the amount, the faster it grows. That's the other thing. It's interest. So if you have interest paying you on $100 versus $1,000, the $1,000 grows a lot faster. Mm-hmm. That's the big trick about money. The more you have, the faster it grows. So it's not, you know, how much you're putting in, but the earlier you start, the better. Though the best day to invest was yesterday and the second best is today. That's right. Okay, so getting to our fun little lightning round, um, I'm going to ask you a series of asset classes, investments, whatever. And I'm going to ask, do you invest in these? And just your general thoughts on each of these. So first and foremost, public equities, aka stocks. Absolutely. S&P 500. Got it. Bonds. Um, first of all, the answer is yes. Uh, and I think that bonds are getting more interesting as interest rates mm-hmm. have gone up. Cool. Real estate. Absolutely. I actually think of your home where you live. Yes, that is a real estate decision. But I actually think the, you're better off when you don't think of it as a, an investment. 
you think of it as your family sanctuary mm. because often you won't make a ton of money. You could, to mm-hmm. be clear, it, it is very possible that you will make money on your home. But I almost think it's better to not think of it to to think of it as your sanctuary. Um, that does not mean spend money on your home, by the way. Don't like misread that. But that really <laughs> what I was just saying there was you need a stable place to raise your family, and so it is important to have a sanctuary. You should always leave beneath your means on your home. That's the number one decision people get wrong. They get bigger homes and forget that bigger homes mean more spending, a lot Mm -hmm. more spending. So it is far better to live beneath your means on your home. More in utilities, more in furniture, 100%. Um, Here's a spicy one, crypto. Um, I have always been a person that when it comes to crypto, think having some very tiny exposure half a percent of your net worth, mm-hmm. very tiny, mm-hmm. particularly after the trade-off. But it is very speculative, and it could go to zero. And you need to emotionally know that. And in general, I still don't fully, I don't think the world has fully appreciated what are the uses of crypto. Um, what are the practical everyday use cases for crypto? Cool. So not a quote-unquote bad investment, but definitely don't make it. It's not the first. Maximize your retirement. Yeah. Like just punchline of all of this. Maximize your retirement. Yeah. Teensy-weensy uh, exposure. Um collectibles you know I'm, I'm seeing things like wine pokemon cars decommissioned fr f1 vehicles like what about collectibles sure so here's the thing about collectibles so what i basically just said to everybody in the world is you've got to learn to get on the treadmill and stay on the treadmill because make taking care of your money is a habit and for the most part i think having one-off investments in things like stocks very specific stocks or very specific collectible you need the brain cells to then monitor When's Mm -hmm. the right time to sell this? Should I hold this forever? Or is this like maybe an asset that peaks and then kind of stays stays flat for a long time? So in general, single names, single name stocks, single name collectibles, single name assets like a Bitcoin, you have to monitor what's happening in those ecosystems. And if you have a full-time job plus a child, you don't have any time. Mm -hmm. So for the most part, so if you happen to be a collectible expert, that is truly what you're an expert at. Great, go for it. I still am going to tell you ETFs, S&P 500, mm-hmm. fully, fully you know, distributed assets all day long. But if you're sitting here today, I'm going to recommend having broad-based exposure. And most people will tell me, if you're out there, by the way, and you're like a super fancy investor, you're going to be like, but, 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 Warren Buffett buys for, he does it for a living. He does it all day long. Yeah. All day. That's all he thinks about. If your all-day job is collectibles, then sure, make some money on collectibles. But I think what happened is most times people don't think about the fact that they don't have the time mm-hmm. to stay on those. And one of those assets, to your point, you bought one stock and it went in half. Yeah. Had you had time, you would have been able to like get a sense that that was coming and gotten out of it. But I had gotten back to school. But you I were was busy. at the frat parties. Yeah. And you don't have time to read quarterly earnings of each (laughs) company like none of us do. So that's why I say I I, I use like a perfect is the enemy of good enough. Like you need to stay on the treadmill and you need to make good long-term decisions that you have the bandwidth to manage. So if you love one collectible, that's fine. But it should be a small amount of your net worth, not a huge amount. And sort of, you know, last one, but like sort of just a offshoot of this collectible stuff. Like what are your thoughts on designer and luxury items like watches and handbags? Again, if you ask me, I, I am a person who I prefer that, to put my money in things that are real assets that I think can really, mm-hmm. really, really grow for the long haul and compound. Mm. So sure, again, maybe a one-off watch can compound yeah. in value. The Crocskin Birkin is going up in value. Yeah, and but I but I'm I'm a I'm I kind of keep those true to my roots, which mm-hmm. is like 
I keep life pretty simple. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not an over-the-top fancy person. Mm-hmm. And where I invest our money is in places that can compound. Love so it. that's just a simple rule of life, right? Having such fancy clothes that, oh my God, this could get ruined and all of a sudden you know, thousands of dollars is gone tomorrow versus keeping it simple where that doesn't matter. I, I want to spend time on people and things that can compound. I love it. Pivoting into the last little segment, uh, you know, I would say similar to Martha Stewart and Snoop Dogg, you have now accomplished your main storyline. You are now on what I would like to call a side quest. And you are now the founder and managing partner of Inspired Capital, an early stage VC fund. So talk to me a little bit about why you wanted to do that. Obviously, you are, you know, someone who was able to build a legitimate startup that was then sold for a very large sum of money. But why do you want to continue to be in this space now? Like you didn't want to kick off to Bora Bora and chill? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, I think at one point I realized I really deeply love working. I love building things. Ever since I was little, I was somebody who was building a project on the side and building a company. And whether it was like my company, the little company that helped me like buy more leotards for gymnastics versus my tutoring <laughs> company versus like a magazine I started with some other people in college. I've just always been somebody who likes to build things. And so there is no Bora Bora in my future. (laughs) Um, And this brings me joy. I love building. And so I think it was just literally the words one day came out of my mouth and they quite literally were, it's inspired capital, which is I love to build businesses with Mm. unique people have big, big, big problems under their skin that they are frustrated about and want to fix. And I love to compound, as I just said, where you can go and find incredible ways to make to take a dollar and, and make it compound and to make the world a better place in the process. So Inspired Capital is an early stage venture fund here in New York City. We invest around the country. We go as early as a napkin, so truly founder with the napkin, to Series A. And we're a generalist fund, so we invest in all types of businesses. And it has been an absolute joy. We're about five years in, and I have to tell you, I think this is definitely uh, my life's work, and I'm doing it with people that I love and respect to my bones. Some of my closest friends and people like Penny Pritzker, former U.S. Secretary of Commerce, and um, it's just an absolute joy to get to back another tier of founders that you know, I, I'm, I'm building the fund that I wish existed for me when I was 23. And I know this is going to be like me asking you to pick your favorite child. However, to date, what would you say are some of your favorite, maybe the favorite investment you've made? That's that's literally like asking a favorite <laughs> child. Um, there's there, It's funny. Um, it's all about the people. It, yeah. it, it's all about the people. Um, I'm really fortunate to have some founders that have like absolutely crossed the chasm from being people that um, I've invested in to people that honestly feel like deep long-term friends and family so there's not a favorite but it's all about the people and we backed companies in our career that range from uh, I'm trying to think we're on an investing pot we've done we did Chime we did Public we did um, companies like Chief which is focusing on bringing women to the top of companies um, company called Hobby many 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 others and no it's it's been a joy but it's about the people awesome and to wrap us up on a high note what is next for Alexa Von Tobel I've got a few really exciting things up my sleeve as you would imagine um, but no I mean if you're out there and you're building a company and you're early and you've got a big 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 problem thorny problem that's underneath your skin in the same way for me building LearnVest was about righting this wrong of people didn't get access to advice unless you had a lot of money and I felt like that was insane and um, come talk to us we're uh, at inspiredcapital.com uh, but know what's next is looking for the next big company that I'm deeply excited to pour the next 10 years of my life in and then on a boards of, I think, 10-ish companies right now that are doing some incredible work. So 
got some things up my sleeve. That's amazing. And tell everyone at home where they can find you. You can find me. Um, I'm Alexa Von Tobel on Instagram. Uh, again, you can come find us all at Inspired Capital or Inspired Capital on Instagram. And then on Twitter, same thing, Alexa Von Tobel, LinkedIn, Alexa Von Tobel. Uh, and I read all my own messages. So message me away. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you so much for joining. I'm just very proud of you for having such a special podcast that helps so many people. It's really amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Net Worth and Chill. If you like this episode, make sure to leave a rating and a review and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Got a financial question you want answered in the future? You can leave me a voicemail or text me at 908-858-3410. Make sure to follow me at Your Rich BFF across social media for even more relatable financial content. Special thanks to my team at Audioboom as well as Range Media and WME. See you next week. Bye!